This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg The last essay, essay 9 of the fifth part of the Tanya this is a, a letter or that was actually written a year before the very first letter of the Holy Letters, the fourth part of the Tanya. And that letter refers to this letter. So this was written in 1787 or 88. And this is what Al-Tarebi instituted for the first time. He instituted the Chalukah Sashas dividing the study of the whole entire Talmud, annual study and finishing of the whole entire Talmud. This is one of the earliest letters. And it starts out, <laughs> Torah says that we're obligated to rebuke our fellow Jew. And it says twice, <laughs> in other words, even if you rebuked once, you can't stop and say, listen, I did my duty. I rebuked and he's not listening. But the rabbis say, Afilu even even a hundred times. It's not limited to a hundred. It means many, many times. You have to continue to rebuke until the person slaps you in the face. <laughs> when he slaps you in the face, he's not, then there's no point in rebuking. So the Alter Rebbe is saying that uh, this is a letter of, of rebuke. He's rebuking it's Hasidim. But even this rebuke, it's a very loving rebuke. It's not, it's not pouring uh, fire and brimstone on this Hasidim. He's like pleading with them and begging with them to take the heart and to have mercy on themselves and uh, to change in a pained voice, in a weak voice. Because after speaking about this so many times and rebuking so many times and not getting any response, this weakens the Alter Rebbe. The Rebbe would always say when he's in his Fabrengen, he said that Dvarim Betelim, people make a mistake. People think, you know, Dvarim Betelim means you're speaking empty words, speaking nonsense. I'm not saying anything negative, not Lashonara, I'm not slandering anyone, I'm not telling lies. But uh, speaking, yentiving, ploppling, pleading, just speaking. Dvarim betelim. The Rebbe says, no, that's not dvarim betelim. Dvarim betelim means words that are a bottle that have no meaning, no significance. In other words, the words that you're speaking are very good words, holy words, inspiring words. But if the words have no effect, and the words are empty, the words are bottled, the words are not functioning. They're not doing anything, they're not accomplishing anything. So the Rebbe was saying about himself, if I sit in Fabrengia for hours and I'm speaking and I'm 
inspiring and controlling, but there are no results. <laughs> it's up to the audience to make sure that these words are not bottled. It means it's a nice speech. You gave a nice speech and everyone applauds. And everyone remembers, wow, what a great speech. But there's no effect. There's no impact. Then these words, the Vodim Betelem, as holy and as lofty as these words are, the Vodim Betelem. So the Alter Rebbe is rebuking and discussed this many times and, and made a point. And, but he has no effect. So it weakens. Alter Rebbe says, I feel weakened because I'm speaking, but I'm not accomplishing anything. So I'm speaking once again, I'm repeating you once again with a very pained and a very weak voice because I'm, I feel weak because my words are not impacting. My words are having zero impact. It's not connecting. It's not changing any behavior. So what's the point of the words if the words have no effect? The point is not to rebuke. The point is to affect a change of behavior. But if the words remain and just nice words, okay, so I fulfilled my obligation. So if you're doing it just to fulfill your obligation, what do you care? I fulfilled my religious duty. Torah says you have to rebuke. I did it and I feel great. But that's not where rebuke is coming from. The Torah says rebuke your fellow Jew and love your fellow Jew like you saw. Don't hate your fellow Jew. Whereas the rebuke is coming from a loving place. Because why am I rebuking? You know, in America, we live in a live-let-live society. You want to jump off, uh, jump off the bridge, do whatever you want. You want to bang your head against the wall? You want to commit suicide? You want to, we'll, we'll help you. <laughs> God forbid. Um, whatever makes you happy. You want to live as a lifestyle that's self-destructive, that's reckless and dangerous? Whatever makes you happy. Who am I to say? And we confuse that for love. It's the ultimate cruelty. Mm-hmm. It's enough to give you the goosebumps. Those, I couldn't care less about you. Don't bother me. I don't want to be bothered. I'll live my life, my selfish life. You live your selfish life and just do what you want. And I don't care what you do. As long as you don't bother me. And people confuse that with love. It's not love, it's hatred. I really couldn't care less about you. And as long as you don't bother me. If you really love someone, if you truly love someone, and it bothers you if you see them acting self-destructively. It bothers you. I care about you. You're eating junk food, you're killing yourself. You're living a drunk lifestyle, you're killing yourself. What are you doing? I care too, too much about you just to ignore it and say, it's none of my business. Live and let live. In Sodom and Gomorrah, it was live and let live. But in the holy society, in the godly society, in the, if you really care, there's real love. A parent cares about their child. Parent doesn't say live and let live. Don't bother me. Some parents live like that. They can't be bothered. So they spoil the kids. And the message to the kids are, you really, I couldn't care less about you. So don't get in the way and I don't have time for you. I don't have energy for you. The discipline and the rebuke takes a lot of energy. And that's not what I'd be saying. You're, you're draining me of my energy. I care about you, and therefore I'm going to say it a hundred times, and it's draining me, and it's hurting me, and it's taking my kishkas out. But I care too much to be silent. I'm going to continue speaking, even though I hardly have a voice left. I barely have the energy left to, to speak again. How many times can I say this over? It's already a hundred times. But I care too much about you. And that's what the Torah commands us. 
rebuke even a hundred times because you care about your fellow Jew. And if you really love and care about your fellow Jew, even though it's draining to you because you're speaking and there's no effect, but you will continue to rebuke. Even if you barely have any energy left to speak up. But I can't be silent. Silence is not an option. As the Rebbe continues, I'm, I'm, I can't contain myself. I'm, I can't contain from crying out, even though it's a voice that's pain with weakness, but I, I just can't because I, I love you too much and I care too much about you. That's the mitzvah in the Torah. Rebuke uh, uh, even a hundred times. It's not limited to a hundred times. How can I stop? The reason I rebuked you the first time because I care about you. So that didn't change. So it's hurting me and it's draining me, but I, I can't keep quiet. Okay, Barry, you want to start? It is written. It is written, you shall surely reprove your comrade even a hundred times. Add our sages, taking up the hint offered by the repetitive form of the Hebrew verb. Like twice. Reprove you, should, reprove, you should reprove. Therefore, writes the altar Rebbe, I cannot contain myself and I can't, cannot restrain from crying out yet again and a voice betraying pained weakness. I plead with you out of deep compassion. Have pity on your souls. Take care, be extremely vigilant concerning the study of Torah and service of the heart, which is prayer with proper intent. All should begin the prayers in unison as one, word by word. Not one person here, another elsewhere, one mute, and the other idly chatting. May Hashem protect us. So he's saying that praying with a minion is that everyone should start together. Everyone should daven together, word for word. Interesting, that's how the Sephardim pray. They say the whole davening out loud, together, word for word, which is really what Alter Rebbe is describing. That's really ideal. You know, when the Rebbe would daven, that's how he would daven. When the Rebbe would daven for the Ombud, and he had yard site. Or the yard site of the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe would say word for word, out loud. And at the end, he would raise his voice on a higher note to finish the psalm and finish the piece, but the whole davening, he said, wasn't quiet, you can hear, you say it, because that's what Alter Rebbe says, it's like you're davening together, not this one there and that one there scattered, but everyone together. And another letter, Alter Rebbe describes a little more in detail, another letter of the Alter Rebbe that we have, Alter Rebbe describes, because prayer is a time of war, it's like battle. That's the time that you're doing battle against your evil inclination, against your ego nature, against your, you know, your natural self, and you're trying to um, awaken the godly soul. So in battle, the soldiers go together. They work as a team. It's not each individual is... <laughs> They, they form a platoon. They form a unit. That's what davening is. Davening in the community, davening with Sibir means we're going to war, but we're coming together as a team. We're doing battle. It's an inner battle. We're doing battle against our arrogance and our ego and our 
our self-centeredness and self-absorption and rough nature. But it's a battle that I'm not doing alone. I'm doing this battle. It's an inner battle. It's a personal, individual battle. But I'm doing this with a community, with the strength of the community. So we all gather together. We gather around. And we're davening together. Each one gives strength to the other. And collectively, there's an energy, a collective energy that you can get from as an individual. Only when you have ten Jews together, you have a collective energy. As we learned earlier in the letter number 23 of the fourth part, the great length. So, so the Alter Rebbe is um, saying that this is the way a minion should look like. Everyone should gather together, say everything word for word, and not, God forbid, people having conversations in the middle of that. It's the worst. This one is on one end of the room, this one is into himself, and they're quiet, but worse yet, they're having conversations. You know, some shuls, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, they ask you which section you want to sit. The stock market, the sports section, <laughs> the political section, <laughs> which, which section you want to talk about, the long prayers, who do you want to be seated next to? Prayer is not a time, God forbid, to speak. You know, the king is here, you're davening. How could you, you're standing, you have an audience with the king and you're distracted and you're, the Shekhinah is present, Hashem is present, 10 Jews together in Shul, davening, Hashem is present. And it's like you're slapping Hashem in the face. I'm sorry, uh, you're talking to this one and talking about this. <laughs> the king is here. <laughs> so he says, God forbid. The main cause and instigator of this damage comes from those leaders. So if you want to correct the problem, you have to get to the root cause of the problem. So the Rebbe here blames the problem is the chazm, the leader of the service, the chazm. That office is abandoned to whoever wishes to strike forth and snatch the honor will be caused, not even if one desires it, so that ultimately the prayer is led by someone inappropriate to the you know, it's interesting. It's always the person who's least appropriate who offers the daven, who offers the service. <laughs> it's the person who's least appropriate who's always running up front, pushing themselves for the honor. It's the person who's least appropriate many times who runs for office, <laughs> Run, running for the honor, <laughs> uh, pushing himself. To be the first one. And more in terms of uh, Rosh Hashanah? No, no, every day. Every, every day. day. This is the middle of the year. Every day, the morning davening, especially the morning davening. Every day. And he says, whoever wants to rush and who grabs Ephrasi, is like honor, honor, that honored position. Uh, it's amazing. Who's the one who sings the loudest in the shul? It's usually the one who's tone deaf. <laughs> and they insist on singing the loudest to try to lead the singing. And they can't, they can't hold a tune to, to save them. <laughs> it's, just, it's just human nature. It wasn't, it wasn't funny. It's so sad, but it's, it's very funny. People are always rushing to the front. The people should really be sitting in the back. The people who sing the loudest just shouldn't be singing at all. And people who run to the chazan, run to the army, that people are completely... Because to be a chazan, 
to be a chazan, the chazan is a representative of the community. So firstly, it has to be someone who the community likes. You know, there's a whole discussion. If there's an halacha, what if one person in the community congregation says, I don't like this chazan. The chazan is a representative of the community. So he says, you don't represent me. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel you represent me, and I, I don't... Does it have to be unanimous? So it has to be someone who's beloved by the community. It has to be a leader, a, a, a chazan who inspires, has a beautiful voice. Thomas, the chazan has to have someone who has a beautiful voice. The chazan has to be a little distinguished. The chazan has to be someone who the community looks up to. We want you to be our shliach tzibur. We want you to be our representative. You are a representative to Hashem. Who are you sending to the king? Someone who's honorable. Someone who you feel could represent you because they, they say the words of davening so beautifully, so eloquently, so heartfelt, so sincere. So it all depends on the leader, on the chazan. He sets the tone for the whole shul. So no one wants to go to the chazan. No one wants to go to the Amr. The people who should go don't want to go. The people who want to go shouldn't go. <laughs> and they end up going. So they, they end up being the chazan. And it's a disaster. No one wants to daven with them. No one wants to say word for word with them. No, they can't gather the people. and They can't inspire the people. So this destroys the whole, the whole minion. This destroys the whole atmosphere of the minion. So therefore, Al-Tarebi is not giving, giving advice. For this reason, continue. For this reason, this is the council offered and a regulation established as a law not to be violated further, heaven forbid. That is, choose fixed individuals fit for this office of leading the prayers by lot or by consent of the majority of the worshippers. Okay, so, firstly, if no one wants to go, the people who should go don't want to go. They're not looking for the honor. They're running away from the honor. They don't need it. They're not interested. They would rather daven alone and be absorbed in their own personal davening. Those are the ones that need to daven. So if no one wants to go, you make a lot. Everyone has a certain day. This is your responsibility. And Dr. Rebbe writes in that letter. And that, he's going to write letter later on. And that, that person, the day that's his day, he has to make it his responsibility to, to gather the minion and, and inspire it to be a beautiful davening. Because we all know the difference between a good davening, an inspired davening, a beautiful, uplifting davening, or if it's a nebuch. So it's up to that person. Or it should be someone who the majority, you're never going to get unanimous, to get every Jew to agree, it's almost unheard of. If you get two Jews to agree, that's why the Torah says you can believe two witnesses, because if you get two Jews to agree, you know they're telling the truth. Or if you see two people agreeing, two Jews agreeing, you know they're getting married. <laughs> it, otherwise, it doesn't happen. So you can't expect unanimous, but at least the majority, and the majority of the congregation, it's beloved by the majority. And they all agree, and they said that this person will be the chazan. So it has to be someone who the majority agrees that they want them as their representative, and uh, who indeed is, indeed is fit for office. These shall be men who pray word by word as a at a moderate pace allowed, neither overly prolonging the prayers, nor racing intemperately God's So it has, you can have two extremes. When you daven privately and alone, like it says Rabbi Kiva, when you daven alone, you would daven with great intensity. He was a Kabbalist. He was one of the four who entered into the Pardis. 
the only one who walked out intact. So when he davened alone, he would like jump from one end of the shul to the other end of the shul. It was a whole experience. But when you daven for the Ahmed and you daven for the community, for the congregation, you represent the community, you have to take the middle road. It can't be too quick. It has to be word for word, slow pace, nice pace, but also can't be too slow. I mean, then you're going to lose the whole congregation. So it has to be a middle pace, nicely paced, word for word. And that's a big attraction why people like our minion, you know, the coil in the morning is because I don't know if it's the only synagogue in the community. Maybe the Svaradim have it. But it's a nice pace, not too slow, not too fast, word for word. It's, 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 it's a davening. You're not racing through the davening. It's not a bullet train. It's not a race off to the races. Um, see who can finish before they start. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a davening, word for word. It's nice and slow, so it can't be too slow and it can't be too, too fast. Theirs is the duty to lead the prayers, each on his day as determined. He shall assemble close around him all those who pray audibly, at least neither worship, whispering nor rushing, God forbid. It's not that it's so quiet. It shouldn't be like a library. It's so hushed and so quiet. You can't even tell that everyone is davening. It shouldn't be in a loud voice either. You know, the Bashemta says when a person davens, you should scru- even your shouting should be in a in a gentle voice. You're shouting inwardly. You, you're on fire, but externally, outwardly, it should be it should be hushed. It shouldn't be like you're yelling and screaming at the top of your lungs. It should be you're davening. So internally, you're on fire. And you're bubbling, and you're bursting, and you're excited. But you have to, you have to express it in a very dignified and beautiful way, in a very channeled way. So externally, you're saying the words. You can hear the words. But it's not loud, yelling and screeching. You know, because that's also very superficial. You know, the spontaneity or the spontaneous emotions. You know, davening is not jazz. You have spontaneous emotions and you burst out. Davening is real. It has to be very internal, very genuine. A genuine emotion doesn't express itself through spontaneous shouting and yelling and jumping. Something stirring in your soul, you express it. And you can hear the words. It's not silent, but it's not yelling either. But every word is heartfelt. Every word sears into your soul and and comes from your inner depth. So that's what he says. It should be not silent, not yelling, and not rushing. It should be nice, nicely paced. This is amplified in age-old communal regulations in many towns. I come now, writes the Alter Rebbe, to renew them, to strengthen and invigorate them, never again to be weakened, God forbid. Alter Rebbe is saying, I'm not, I'm not innovating. It's not, I'm, not, I'm not creating anything new. These are ancient, age-old communal regulations which the sound, towns 
saw fit. And I'm just coming to renew them, to bring them back. The same reason they made them then, now we need them even more. So I'm just coming to re, to strengthen them, and it should, this should remain. It shouldn't be like the enactments of old that didn't last. The proof is that I still have to write this, this letter. I'm trying to make an enactment that will last forever and ever. If once you get it and you understand the importance of davening, Davening, we're, talking, we're not talking about those individuals who daven for hours, who daven alone, privately, who would start before the minion, sit through the whole minion and answer the amens and hear the baruch and the kedusha and hear the whole minion, and then we'll continue to daven for hours and hours and hours. But the is talking about the majority that daven with a minion. But this minion should be a real davening. As we learned in the first letter of the Igeres HaKodesh, of the Holy Letters. The davening al has taken an hour. You know, till after Shemun Esra, it's taken an hour. al is davening himself. He practiced what he preached. His davening, the whole davening, I think, would take an hour and a half. But davening, word for word, and davening slowly. And there in the letter we learned, al says he suggested that only those who, like the Koilal, rabbis who are learning all day or malamdim teachers who are not rushing to work they should be the only ones who should be allowed to daven like we learned in the last essay not those who are rushing businessmen are rushing to work and they have to get back to the business those who can daven nice and slow not too fast not too slow not too loud not too, not too quiet but word for word together and the chazan should be the one responsible to be in charge of making sure this happens. Gathering the ten people with him. Together with him should be ten people. Everyone together. Start davening together word for word. And they should daven. And they will get strength from it. This is what davening with a minion is all about. It's that community, congregation, that unit that gives you the strength to wage this battle and to win this battle, to triumph in this battle, in this internal battle. And here the Alter Rebbe adds, in a parenthesis, two words, Gewald, Gewald, in Yiddish. And the whole entire Tanya, this is the only time we find Yiddish. In the five books of the Tanya, we've been studying this for 14 years, and it's the first time Al-Tarebi, Gewald, Gewald means oi, oi, oi. Gewald, Gewald. You know, when something hurts you, when you're in pain, out goes the fancy language, the eloquent language, and you just cry in Mamelushan, in Yiddish, in your language. So the Alter Rebbe is in such pain here. That he's saying, Gewald, Gewald. I, I don't know, what, what more can I do to impress upon you the importance of what I'm writing here? It's not just another detail, another directive. This is the core, the essence of everything. 
what more can I press upon you how important this is, how vital, how critical. You know, they tell a story, the, these Jewish immigrants send their daughter to this French school. You know, they have this French school, fancy French school right here around the corner. And then the daughter grows up and gets married. And she's having a first baby. So she calls her obstetrician and they go to, they go to the hospital. And the mother is there in the hallway speaking to the doctor. And the daughter yells out in a beautiful, eloquent French, Doctor, come. I don't know French. I'm not going to come. I'm having the baby. The doctor ignores her, continues speaking to the mother. The mother says, why don't you go to my daughter? She's yelling. Says, no, don't worry. Not, not yet, not yet. Half hour later, in a higher voice, in a beautiful, eloquent French, doctor, please come. Ignores her. Half hour later, she hears a yell, Gewalt! <laughs> Ah, the doctor starts running. Now the baby is coming. You know, as long as you're speaking fancy, sophisticated, intellectual, it's hacked and shining. It's, it's, it's all, it's nothing. When it's a cry from your kishkis, it's a cry from your gut. Gewalt, gewalt. You know, it's funny, there's a famous picture when Carter, Jimmy Carter, after Camp David, he went to the Knesset to convince the Knesset to vote for it because it was tremendous opposition. And he's sitting in the Knesset <laughs> closing his ears and cringing because, uh, I mean, all parliaments are pretty, the English parliament is pretty, gets pretty wild also. It's not like the American Congress. Everything is very sedated and very there. It's like, but the Israeli Knesset puts them all to shame. And this was in the 70s. So you had people who were still from the old country. So they, forget about the Hebrew. <laughs> they, they started yelling at each other. The Yiddish came out. The Russian, the Yiddish started cursing each other, yelling at each other. You know, it's when something bothers you, something hurts, you express it very raw. Very raw. It's very unsophisticated. Alter Rebbe can't contain himself. And he writes, Gewal, Gewal. And he's still shouting, Gewal, Gewal. <laughs> Twice, Gewal, Gewal. Oi, oi, oi. What's it going to take, he says, to wake us up? To what's at stake here? I continue. How long will this be an obstacle for us? How long will we be burdened by praying without proper intent? Have we not sufficient reproofs and troubles that have overtaken us? May God protect and console us with redoubled support and purify our hearts to serve Him in truth. Strengthen and fortify your hearts, all who hope in God. The Rebbe says that, that it's not enough all the tsaris that the Jewish people are going through. We're in exile for so long, that time, 1,700 years in exile, and the tzaddis don't let up. It's relentless. He says, Al-Tarebi is blaming it all because we're not praying properly. We're not praying with the proper intent. And that's the cause, the source of all Yiddish tzaddis, physical tzaddis. 
very strong statement. So you gewalt, gewalt, not only have Rachmanes have mercy on your soul, but have mercy on your, on your bodies and your physical well-being on the Jew. All the tzaras that the Jewish people are suffering, it's only because we are not praying properly. I forget which two Rebbe's, two, two great Hasidic masters, were having a discussion why the Jewish people are suffering so terribly, pogroms and, and poverty, and just in Eastern Europe, it was miserable. Physically, they were suffering. So one said, he said it's because all the business they were doing, many of them were innkeepers, and they had all these shiksas coming in, and there was a lot of, uh, like, uh, testing the boundaries of modesty. And that's what's causing all these terrible, terrible tzaras. Because it was a given, a granted, for a Jew, anything that happens to us physically is just a symptom of what's happening to us spiritually. If we're morally robust, and we're spiritually robust, and we're Jewishly robust, and we're godly and wholesome, it translates into physical health, into financial health, and well-being. There's no divide, there's no disconnect between. This is clearly in the Torah. You follow my laws, you will be successful. You will be blessed. So for a Jew, everything is not only psychosomatic, spiritual somatic, Jewish somatic. Everything that's spiritual and godly and Jewish affects us physically. So if you want to fix a problem, you have to go to the root cause. So of course, if you have a financial difficulty, you have, to, you, have to, you have to speak to your financial advisor. If you have a medical difficulty, you have to speak to a doctor. But first and foremost, we have to realize that everything has a spiritual cause. You have to strengthen yourself Jewishly and spiritually, and that will address the root cause. So they were discussing, what is the root cause? Why are Jews suffering so terribly in Eastern Europe? So one rabbi said, it's because of this intermingling and the, and the men and the women and, and a, a very unhealthy situations, morally challenging. And the other rabbi said, it's because Jews speak in Shul. They're speaking during davening. So they decided, now let's open a Chumash and we'll see what the Torah says. So they opened the Chumash and they opened to uh, uh, Genesis, Bereshis, when Shimon and Levi killed out the whole city of Shechem, because the prince killed, uh, this prince raped the Dina, so Yaakov got very upset. He says, how can you do this? You're embarrassing me in front of all the people, and it's going to cause war. And Shimon and Levi responded, Are you going to our sister is going to be treated like a, like a prostitute. She can just be raped and there's no consequences. So that clearly stated. They saw that he saw this, this Hasidic master saw that the Torah is clearly stating that all Yiddish tzaras come from the fact that there's some immorality because Jews are not, because of this intermingling, it's leading to a, bl- a blurring of the boundaries between Jew and non-Jew. But the other Hasidic Rabbi pointed out, if you look in the Targum of Yonus and Benazil, in the translation of Yonus and Benazil, one of the greatest Tanoim that ever lived, the greatest uh, student of Hillel, the Talmud said Hillel had 80 students, and Yonus and Benazil was the holiest of them, and the greatest of them. Yonus and Benazil was the least of them. 
And he was the leader of the Jewish people to save the Jewish people during the destruction. And Yenusim ben Azil was the holiest and the greatest. So he translated the Torah into like a, a Targum, like Aramaic. And he writes over there, Shimon Valevi said, it's not nice that it should be said in the Yisrael, in the gatherings of the Jewish people, that, that a non-Jew raped the Jewish girl. But he said, if he translate the words literally, it's not good, it's not good that people are speaking in Jewish synagogues, and gathering houses, houses of Jews, that Jews get together in their gathering places. It's not it's not good that Jews are speaking. The Torah is saying both things are correct. And the Alter Rebbe says here that he's basically clearly saying that all the tsaris, all the Yiddish tsaris that we're having is because we're not davening properly. Whereas if we would daven properly, that would lead to redemption. That would lead to personal redemption. Then Jews would be focused. Jews would be connected. Consciously connected. This which will lead to personal change, personal redemption, which will lead to the ultimate redemption. So this would bless each and every Jew, bless them in the material welfare and well-being, because the stronger, the clearer, the connection, the, the godliness and the connection, and the more vibrant and more powerful and more robust the neshama is, our godly soul is, this will lead and translate to physical well-being and will lead to the ultimate redemption. So this is the key thing. And that's why it's so difficult. That's why it's so challenging. That's why the Yetzirah puts out all the stops. Because he knows how critical it is. If Jews are really going to daven, then he's out of business. I think uh, one, of the, one of the Rebbe said, or one of the greatest Hasidim of who said, Satan would rather a person learn eight pages of Gemara than one page of Likutei Torah and Torah which is Alter Rebbe's Hasidic discourses on the Parsha and the holidays and Shir Hashir. He would rather you learn eight pages of Likutei Torah than one page of Tanya. Because one page of Tanya is so powerful. And he would rather you learn one page of Tanya than actually davening. <laughs> because davening is so powerful. Davening is implementing everything that you learn and focusing. Because when you focus, then everything happens. Everything depends on that focus. You know, a person who's focused on himself gets very excited. When you insult him, he's very focused on himself. People are very focused hard-charging people are very focused on themselves. If anyone dares slights them or insults them, they're very focused on themselves. They get very, very excited. Let's say a person is fighting for his life or he's, he's distracted with a very big project. He's a big project on his mind. And at that moment, he's not focused on himself. If someone will insult you, then I could, I, I'm not focused. I don't get excited. I'm busy. I, Davening is a time when you're focused. You're focusing, you're centering yourself on your godliness, on your godly connection. When godliness becomes real to you. So all the learning in the world, if you're just learning information, 
if you're just learning the Torah and just learning a lot of information, that's not living it. In davening, I'm not learning new information. It's a time to live the information, to internalize it, to integrate it, where it comes to life and it becomes personal, it becomes real. That's what's impressive. That's where change happens. That's why it's so powerful, so potent, so central, so vital, and without that, it's so critical. And without that, all this service happens. You're leaving a vacuum, you're leaving a void. So all the learning in the world can't replace the importance of davening. This is the moment of truth. To take all that learning and all that information, all that knowledge, and to internalize it, and to personalize it, and to make it come alive, and to make it real. It becomes a living Torah. It becomes a godly Torah. So the Alter Rebbe is pleading. He says, Gevald, Gevald, isn't it enough that we're 1,700 years in exile? All the tzaddas and the tzaddas keep on getting worse and worse and deepening. Isn't it enough that we should finally wake up and get our act together and, and start truly davening and start truly taking this seriously? This is for real. We're not playing games here. Every day we're davening, we're connecting and focusing and can you imagine the power of ten Jews daven like this and really daven together? The unity and the, and the inspiration and the effectiveness and the power it would have and the change it would make in each, each individual's lives with the improvement and the, the shifting and the change. And this would translate immediately and directly into physical well it will also help us physically and material. That's what you're davening for. You're davening, you're praying to Hashem. Also, the literal meaning of davening is you're praying to Hashem for all your needs. So you, this is the way to have your prayers answered. By truly focusing on Hashem. It's the Rebbe, point number one. He doesn't know what more to say or how you can say it. Even this is. Now he comes to point number two. Also, complete the study of the entire Talmud year after year. And in every community, a portion of the tractates by lot or by consent, each individual choosing the tractate that he desires to study. In a city with numerous synagogues, each congregation should complete the Talmud. And if a congregation is too small to implement this program, they should join forces with men of a larger one. This statute, if the entire Talmud be studied every year, shall not be varied or violated. This is an enactment of the Alter Rebbe, brilliant, innovative, powerful enactment, which we do until today in Chabad, on Yutas Kislev. We finish the whole Shas, and we also start the whole Shas, the whole Talmud. Everyone takes at least one tractate, and um, together you divide all the tractates. So, 63 tractates, you divide all the tractates, and or there's 60, it depends how you count it, different ways of counting it. And um, so every year, annually, we finish the whole entire Talmud. This was enacted without the Rebbe at the end of uh, 1787 or, or during or 1788. And um, there are many advantages of this enactment over if you're just learning by yourself. When you are part of this undertaking, 
and you take one tractate, and another Jew takes another tractate, and between all of you together, you finish the whole shas. So it says, if you yourself had finished the whole shas, as we find in the laws of Shabbos, that two people who do a work, but if each one can do it on his own, and if two people do it together, then you haven't violated, biblically you haven't violated Shabbos. But if neither of them could do it on their own, let's say they're lifting up something, it's too heavy for one individual to lift up. You need two. So since they both need each other, they're both indispensable to each other, therefore it's considered as if, as if they both lifted and done the whole thing. Even though I only did 50% of it. The Torah says you're only obligated on Shabbat if you do the whole entire work. That's why if two people could lift up, and they both lift up, neither of them have violated the Shabbos, because they only did 50%. But if neither of them could do it alone, they need each other. So even though I, I, practically I'm only doing 50%, I mean, I'm only lifting up 50%, because I can't possibly lift up the whole thing. But since I can't do it without the other, it's as if I've done the whole thing. So to here, since it's not possible for us to finish Shas every year, we're not Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Moshe Feinstein will make a see him in Shas every year. I'm sure the Rebbe would also finish Shas every year. He would wake up every morning and go through six, six pages of Shas every day, every morning. And he finished the whole Shas every year. But since we are not capable of doing the whole Shas every year, it's only when I combine my efforts with my fellow Jew, so me learning my Mesechta, and the other Jew learning his Masechta. So therefore it says, if I've learned the whole entire Shas. So I made a Siyam, not just I made a Siyam on one track. Every year I'm making a Siyam on the whole entire Shas. Which is more than just a collection of individual tractates. When you finish the Shas, it's a whole, it's a very powerful thing. It's like a minion is not just a collection of ten, ten, ind- ten individual Jews. You create a new collective entity, a new energy. When you finish the whole entire Shas, it's a special energy. So I have the energy every year of finishing the whole entire Shas. Not like that for Yomi, I don't have to wait seven years. Every single year, I have the energy of finishing the whole entire Shas. And in addition to that bad, when you learn together, collectively, between each and all of you, you're finishing the whole entire Shas together, the whole entire Talmud, you have the advantage of studying Torah in public. It's as if I'm learning with ten other Jews. As we learned in the letter, in the, in the fourth part of the Tanya, in the Holy Letters, 23, the advantage of ten Jews learning together versus the individual learning alone. So here, when I'm studying my tractate, and the other Jew is studying his tractate, and there are 63 Jews, each one of them studying their tractate, and together we're studying, we're working on this project, together we're finishing the whole entire Shaz, it's as if I am learning. I'm not just learning myself. All the other Jews are participating in my learning. And I'm participating in their learning. So you have the advantage of a minion, and more than a minion, six minyanim, or over six minyanim, learning, learning together. So every time I'm learning privately, I'm not learning alone, there are 60 Jews who are considered as if they're learning with me. So you have the advantage of studying Torah, B'tzibur, in the congregation. It's a powerful, powerful advantage. So this is a, a, one of the ingenious inventions of the Altarebbe, enactments of the Altarebbe, 
which is very strictly held till today in Chabad. At least everyone takes upon himself at least one tractate. Whatever you're learning on your own, even on your own you're learning many tractates, but at least one tractate to participate in this collective learning, which has so many advantages. Firstly, I'm helping another Jew. Like me learning my and him learning his. I'm helping him finish Shas, and I am finishing the whole Shas. And that's the simple reason why Chabad never uh, officially adopted the, 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 the Dafi because Al Tareb already made a program, a program that's powerful. The idea that every day you have to study, every Jew has to study a page of Talmud, a whole blot of Talmud, that goes without saying. Any Jew, especially a yeshiva student, went to yeshiva, of course, they can't go by that you don't study a page of Talmud. And that has always been true. That's not, that's not the, the big innovation. Um, and every day, Shabbos, Yom Tev, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, they once looked into the Tzemach Tzedek's room, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe. After Simchas Teire, he was dancing a night away, Simchas Teire, a lot of L'chaim. And when he, they peeked into his room, what was he doing when he finished that coffee in Simchas Teire? He looked into his room, he took out a Gemara, and he was learning, he was learning, learning Gemara. So the idea that a Jew, a day doesn't go by, that a Jew doesn't study a Blat Gemara, that goes without saying. But the innovation of the Alter Rebbe was the advantage that every year it's as if you finish the whole entire Shas. So for seven years you finish the Shas seven times by participating with another Jew. But the Alter Rebbe adds one thing. Okay, in addition. In addition, each of the participants shall individually read the whole of the Eightfold Psalm 119 every week. In other words, everyone who's participating in this project, and Alter Rebbe, the first letter of Egeres HaKadosh, the first letter in the Holy Letters, Alter Rebbe writes, He's giving thanks that his enactment has been accepted and received. And after that first year, it was the first annual Siyam HaShaz, every, every community finished the whole Shas. And it has never stopped ever since. So Alter Rebbe was giving a special thanks that his enactment, his idea has been implemented and accepted. But he's saying that everyone who's going to participate in this project, everyone who's going to accept upon themselves to study an entire tractate through this year, this annual cycle, and by Hasidim it was actually Yutas Kislev. And the Rebbe would make a siyum, and he would sta- ask everyone in the audience, did you finish your tractate? Did you finish your tractate? Because it has to be for real. You have to finish the whole shas. Everyone is dependent on you. If someone missed five pages, you, you deprived everyone. You messed up everyone. And then many times when one person admitted, he was honest, he says, you know, I, I missed a few pages. And on the spot, the Rebbe would like uh, learn, <laughs> this is when the Rebbe was in New York already, when he came to New York in 1941. So every Yudas Kislev would make a Siyam Hashas. And so the Rebbe would, um, would, would, did you miss any pages? And he would, like, on the spot, he would, like, quickly learn and ma- make up those pages so he can make, can make the whole Siyam and the whole Shas. Now, the Rebbe says, anyone who's participating in this project who takes upon themselves to learn the tractate and is going to learn the tractate, I'm asking one thing of them. That every week they should say the whole Psalm 119, which is the longest psalm in the whole, whole Tillam, the whole book of Psalms. It has 176 verses. It has the 22 letters of the Alebes, and every letter, every letter is repeated eight times. Eight verses for every letter. 
as the Gemara says, called Tmani Api, eight, letter, eight letters of the alphabet. So the Alter Rebbe says that whoever takes upon himself the, this enactment should also every week should say the whole Psalm 119. Which is why. He doesn't explain why. why. What's the connection from learning a tractate? And I'm going to finish a tractate over the year and I'm participating in finishing the whole entire Shas every year. Why is it important for me to say Kapitel Kufyutes every single week? So the previous Rebbe comments. The previous Rebbe comments on the connection between completing the study of the Talmud and the recitation of Psalms as follows. From here we see that the study of Gomorrah is complete only when it is accompanied by the recitation of the Hilum. And in order to recite the Hilum properly, one needs to study Gomorrah. So the two go hand in hand. Studying Talmud and studying the Gemara, in order to study the Gemara properly, you have to say a capital till. Because it's not just a matter of brilliance and legalese and law, but studying Torah, the Talmud, it's divine, it's godly, You're studying Hashem Torah. So you have to approach it with a sense of humility, a sense of holiness, a sense of sacredness. And in order to study Torah properly, to study Talmud properly, you have to say a capital tilling. You have to pray to Hashem and beg Hashem to connect with Hashem. It's easier to connect with Hashem when you're saying Tehillim, because you're praying. It's, 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 you're saying it with fervor. It's more of a spiritual experience. You're saying the words. You're saying Hashem's name. In, in Torah, you can get lost in the scholarliness of the Torah and the brilliance. and You get so caught up that you forget for a moment that it's divine. You're studying the infinite. You're studying Hashem's mind. You're studying something that's godly. That's really, the truth is, just like you don't understand the Tillim, the truth is you really don't understand the Gemara either. <laughs> It's a very superficial understanding. There's so much infinite depth in every word and every page in the Talmud and every word. It's Hashem's Torah. So to approach the Torah properly, it has to be combined with the hill. But the Rebbe once commented and says, it's very interesting. He never saw anyone do this. We follow the enactment of the Alter Rebbe. We take upon ourselves to track it every single year, every Chabad community around the world. And he never saw anyone, which means he never even saw the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe say chapter 119 every single week. The Rebbe said once, he remembered his father always used to say on Shabbos after Mincha. But that was more for Kabbalistic reasons. Not, not because to fulfill what the Rebbe says here. It seems like Kabbalistically he would say, so why? This is the explicit wish of the Alter Rebbe. And we take every word of the Alter Rebbe seriously. And his enactment of studying, finishing the whole Shas, every community, every shul should take upon themselves to finish the whole Shas every year. Why wouldn't we take upon ourselves to say Kapitel 119 every week? So the Rebbe, I don't know if he's, he answered this explicitly, but he, he spoke about in the later years, 
he quoted the Marsha, a very interesting Marsha, in the Tractate Saita. The Tractate Saita says that a person, there's a whole page, a page and a half that discusses arrogance, how Hashem despises arrogance. You could be a Torah scholar, you could be religious, but if you're arrogant and you're full of yourself and you're so egotistical and Hashem despises you, the wicked person, Hashem says, I can live with evil. It doesn't bother, it doesn't, I don't despise it. I can live with sinners. Even if you sin, I'm still with you. But if there's a person who's arrogant, even though he has no sin, Hashem says, I despise this person. Talmud says he won't have a share in, in the resurrection. He won't be resurrected. He's like, he's dead, Hashem. He's finished. But then the Talmud says that a Talmud Chacham has to have one sixty-fourth of, of a little ego. One sixty-fourth of ego. A little tiny drop. Eight, eight times eight. Shemini Shebeshminis. The Vilna Goyen used to say that eight times eight is the eighth parsha. It's Vayishlach. And the eighth pasuk of Vayishlach is Katointi Mikola Chasadr. Yaakov says, I am humbled and I am small. So Talmud is hinting, even the eight, eight times eight, eight times eight, eighth of eight, also you should be humble. But a person has to have a little ego because if the, if the Torah scholar won't have any ego, people will just trample over him. He has to, he has to carry himself with dignity, so he has to have a little uh, 164. So, the, so, so the, the Masha says, why is he an eighth of an eighth, like an eight times eight? So he says it's referring to the 119th Psalm, which is broken down into eight verses. Every olive bait, every letter of the olive bait, Api has eight verses. Every single verse discusses the quality, the advantage of studying Torah. Every word, verse has, it refers to the Torah, your testimonials, your mitzvahs, your chukim. Every single verse of those 176 verses discusses the Torah, the advantages of Torah. So he's saying a Torah scholar has to, has to have one sixty-fourth of, of a little gaiva, a little, you know, ego. But he says, why 64? 64 minus 1, 63. 63 is gas. Gas. Gas means arrogant. Gasaruach. So he's saying you can't have one sixty-third of gaiva because that's gas. That will make you into an arrogant. You have to have one sixty-fourth. In other words, a person who is learning Torah and has all the advantages of Torah and can get to your head because you really have what to boast about. You really have what to brag about. You really have what to feel arrogant about. Look, I have real wealth, real riches. This is the true Forbes 400 list. This is... I know Torah, I have something that's really valuable and precious and infinite value. It can turn you into a gas, it can turn you into so many arrogance. So he says, eight times eight, make sure that the Torah that you learn shouldn't lead you to arrogance. So that's what the 119th capital is. The Rebbe says, you're learning a whole tractate. You're going to finish a whole tractate every year. And I just explained to you by you finishing your whole tractate and you participating in this collective effort, it's as if you finished the whole entire shas. The shas is made up of 63 mesechtas, which can lead you to gas. You can become arrogant, insufferable, uh, egotistical. 
So that's why when you say the capital 119, which is eight psuk, and it talks about the holiness of Torah and the greatness of Torah, how holy the Torah is, that will make sure that you'll only become eight times eight, 64th. Well, 64th, you'll never reach the gas, you'll never reach the 63rd, you'll never reach arrogance. So based on this, someone to say, you can explain why today we don't fulfill this wish of the Alter Rebbe. Because by studying Hasidus, don't forget the Alter Rebbe wrote this before the Tanya was even published. There was no real Hasidic books. I don't even know if the Tzavos Rivash was, was published yet in, in, in 17, 1787 or 88. Could it even be that there was not a single Hasidic book published yet at that time? So if you don't have Hasidus, what's going to hold your arrogance in check? What's going to keep your ego in check? Well, there was a Seytelem. Daven to Hashem. Connect with Hashem. Be humble. So you should never lead the gas. You should never lead just because you're finishing the whole Shas. All 63 tractates. You shouldn't get to your head and you feel so arrogant. and shouldn't be puffed up. And impossible and insufferable. So you say till but now that we have the Tanya and we have the and we have Chsidus and we have Svarim. And of course, every week, of course, a Jew studies at least an hour of Chasidus or more. So that accomplishes the same goal. That's what keeps your ego in check. That keeps your arrogance in check. That doesn't get to your head. So you can study the Talmud and you remember about godliness and you remember about Hashem. And you remember about the infinity of the Torah and the infinite preciousness and value of the Torah and the humbling experience that it has on you. So you can study Talmud and it won't have any negative effect on you. So it does seem that's, that must be the explanation because otherwise it makes no sense. How could Al Rebbe make such a wish and it's not fulfilled? Why? Because we, we're afraid to say this capital tilim. First, you can break it up. There are some who break up who say you should say this capital every week, and they break it up in seven parts. So what's a terrible? Shabbos, you have a little more time. You can say a little more. It's not so terrible. If you say it every week, you can probably you learn it by heart. So it's not, it's not a big deal. But since there's a reason why the Alter Rebbe is saying, the Alter Rebbe is saying he's connecting it to studying the Talmud, as the previous Rebbe explains. Because it's not enough to study Talmud. To study Talmud properly and the way it should be in the in the proper way, you, have to, you need Tehillim. You need, it has to be connected with Tehillim. And in order to daven the proper way, you have to be a scholar. You have to know Talmud. To be a chassid, especially to be a chassid of the Alter Rebbe, it's not enough just to study chassidus. You have to be a scholar. You have to study Talmud. You have to know halacha. The same Alter Rebbe wrote the Tanya, wrote the Code of Jewish Law. And it's in his name, Shneur. Shneur is Shneur, the two lights, the light of the revealed part of the Torah and the light of the secrets of the Torah, the secrets of secrets, Hasidus. And Alter Rebbe innovated and wrote and mastered both of them. And he wanted his Hasidim to be a Lubavitcher Hasid, to be a Hasid of Alter Rebbe. You have to be a scholar, you have to learn the Talmud, and you have to study at least one tractate every single year. And you have to know Halacha, as we're going to learn soon. And the next... Uh, next week when we conclude the whole entire Tanya. And so they have to go hand in hand. The Tehillim and the Talmud and the studying 
the godliness, the davening and the learning and the tilim and the studying Hasidus and studying the revealed part of Torah, each one enhances the other, each one strengthens the other, each one, and together you have a package that's beautiful and wholesome. So that does seem to be a correct explanation why today we don't say, we don't fulfill this directive of the altar. Because we are fulfilling it by studying Tanya and studying Hasidus. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.